Well, I hope uh, you all had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, to the guys at 33rd, it was so good to be with you on Christmas Eve Eve. Um, I hope that the rest of your weekend uh, went well and that there was some hope in the message of Jesus coming to earth. Uh, but now we're past Christmas and we're headed into a new year, into 2019. And as, as I've been thinking about going into this new year, I started reflecting a little bit on my time here at Summit. I, I've been here five and a half years now. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about all that, that God has been doing in me and in this place, I, I remembered my very first sermon that I ever preached here. It was a sermon I preached before y'all hired me. Um, it was kind of my audition, I guess, uh, to be your pastor. And I told a story in that very first sermon about my time as a theater major at Florida State University. And I was thinking about that story and I thought this would be a good week uh, to remind you of that story. And so, uh, so some of you will remember this story. Some of you, uh, this will be brand new information to you. So I was a a theater major at Florida State University. Now, I had grown up uh, in this area. I had grown up in a Christian home, in a Christian school. And by Christian school, I got the Christian of the Year Award every year in high school. Um, and so I lived a pretty sheltered, protective life. And then I go to this huge public university. And not only that, I, I go into a major like theater. And so it was a completely eye-opening experience for me. And, and one of the most uh, significant memories I have from my time there uh, took place in an acting class that I had. It was an acting class uh, where, uh, where I really came in contact with, with something that I had never come in contact with before. Um, so just to kind of set the stage for you, the, uh, the class took place in the basement of our theater. And so it was like down in like the dark, dank basement area. And there was this one classroom and it was a classroom uh, that was more like a ballet studio. So there's mirrors on the wall and, you know, the ballet bars and, and wood floors. And so one day we go down to class and the door's locked. And that was weird. The door was never locked. There were classes in and out of that classroom all day. We had never been down there and the door was locked. And so, you know, we're trying to get in. Me and my other classmates are looking at each other like, what is going on? When out of the dark corner of the basement, our acting teacher appears. Now, this was odd because it was a dead end at the hallway. So that meant our acting professor showed up before the rest of us and was hiding in this dark corner, watching as we were all trying to get into the classroom. And so he emerges from the dark uh, corner and he was exactly what you think of when you think of an acting instructor. He was tall and skinny. He always wore black. He had this like crazy curly uh, kind of black black and white hair. And so he emerges from the corner and he says, today class, we are going to explore mask. And he said, the reason I've locked the door is because I've already got the mask all laid out in the classroom and I didn't want you to walk in and judge the mask. Then he went on to describe to us what we would be doing for class. He said, when you walk into the classroom, I want you to walk around and I want you to look at the mask but do not pick up any of the mask. I want you to wait for the mask to tell you to pick it up. And then once you've picked up the mask, you're not to put on the mask, but you're to go over and you're to sit in front of the mirror and you don't look at the mask, but I want you to look at yourself. I want you to look deep into yourself until you see the deepest, darkest parts of you. And then I want you to hold the mask up next to your face. Do not look at the mask but then move your eyes to see the reflection of the mask in the mirror. And then look inside and see the deep, dark secrets of the mask. And then 
I want you to look back at yourself and then back at the mask, back at yourself, back at the mask. Don't ever put the mask on. Wait for the mask to put itself on. Now, y'all, I grew up in Christian school and in Christian home. I knew this was from Satan, and so I was getting very freaked out. So I'm looking at my classmates, and I'm thinking, somebody's got to be thinking this is weird. But no one did. Everyone was like, oh, this is amazing. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And I was like, you are not my people. And so, uh, but I'm like, all right, well, we're, we're doing this. So he opens the door, and I start walking around the classroom. There's masks all over the floor, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to longingly look at a mask, like asking it to pick me and, and pretending like this was all real. Um, and, and, and no mask picked me. So eventually I just picked up a mask and I, I went over to the mirror and I started looking at myself, saw nothing. Looked at the mask, nothing. Kept going back and forth and back and forth. But while I was sitting at the mirror, I started getting really anxious because I'm a people pleaser, because I wanna make all A's, because I wanna impress the teacher. And so then I start getting scared because I realized I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to get graded on this. This, this is a big deal. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. So my anxiety starts building and building and building. And so eventually I put the mask on and no joke, this is what happens. And so I start making this sound and, I, and I'm walking around the classroom and, and I'm looking at my classmates and I'm pleading with them for help because I really can't breathe. And I'm going, and they're looking away and they're shunning me. They want nothing to do with me. Nobody will help me. I'm going around frantic. And in my, in my franticness, I, walk, I run over to the, to the wall. I grab hold of the ballet bar. I let out a blood curdling cry. I rip the ballet bar out of the concrete block wall, which causes me to fall on the ground. I throw off my mask and I begin weeping. And my professor walks over to me and he gets down right by my face and he says, thank you. That was beautiful. Now, I tell you that because I want to remind you that that was one of the very first stories I ever told you about me, and you still hired me. So if you have a problem with me, it's really on you. But I also tell you that because as we're going into this new year and as we, as we begin to try to tackle as a church family some pretty big things in our city, trying to walk into some pretty dark places in our city, I want us to walk into those dark areas knowing that we've got our mask off, that we're fully us, that we know our true name and we live boldly into our calling. What if you didn't have to pretend anymore that you had it all together? That your family, uh, you know, you didn't have to pretend like your family is as great as you said they were in your Christmas card letter. You could admit your doubts and your flaws. You could be honest about your disagreements with God. What if you didn't have to keep trying so hard to be something you aren't? Well, you don't. Today, we're gonna look at one of my favorite stories in the whole Old Testament. It's the story of one night in the life of Jacob. Um, now, to just give you a little history about Jacob, Jacob is found in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And in the first book of the Bible, we're introduced to Abraham. And Abraham was the one that God came to and said, Abraham, through your descendants, I'm gonna bless the entire world. But Abraham had no children and he was old. Well, in his old age, him and his wife, Sarah, had a son named Isaac. Isaac is the one that God asked Abraham to take up on the mountaintop and sacrifice for him. But at the very last minute, God provided a ram to be substituted in his place. Well, Isaac then gets married to Rebekah and Rebekah has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau and Jacob were twins, but Esau was born first. We're told that as Esau came out, uh, that Jacob's 
was holding on to Esau's leg, trying to pull him back. And that really sets the stage for the relationship between these two brothers. There was constant competition between Esau and Jacob. And so we're gonna pick up the story after Esau and Jacob have now grown up. Um, and, uh, and Esau really grew up to be a man's man. He was, he was very hairy, we're told. He was a hunter. His dad loved him like he was his dad's pride and joy. And Jacob, um, he liked to, uh, to hang out with his mom a lot. He kind of homebody, we're told he was pretty smooth. Um, so he essentially was a hairless mama's boy. And so you've got hairless mama's boy and you've got man's man. Um, and they completely just, they, they could not get along. Well, at the end of Isaac's life, he's gone blind, he's about to die. One of the most significant things a father did for his children uh, was offer them a blessing. He gave a blessing to the firstborn son. Well, um, Esau went out to go hunting to try to get a, a great meal for, for the ceremony that, that he would be receiving this blessing. Well, while he was out hunting, uh, Jacob decides to put on a costume. He puts on this hairy costume. He goes into his father. His father's like, are you sure you're Esau? He's like, yes, feel me. He feels him, he's hairy. And so uh, Isaac pronounces the blessing upon Jacob, which is crazy because eventually Esau is gonna come home, right? Then what's gonna happen? Well, Esau does come home. He gets really angry. He says he's gonna kill Jacob. So Jacob flees in the night. He has to go live in a distant country. While he's in the distant country, God blesses him. He has lots of children. Jacob is the one who had 12 sons, uh, one of whom was Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Like, that's Jacob. Uh, he has all these sons. He has all this land, all this livestock, all these servants. He becomes a very wealthy man. But Jacob decides he just wants to go home. And so he decides to make a journey back home. Well, when he's on his way home, he gets wind that Esau is out looking for him. He's, he's heard that Jacob's coming home, and he's out looking for him with an army. And so Jacob, who's always devising a plan, comes up with a plan. He decides he's gonna split his family in two, his servants in two, his livestock in two, and he's gonna send them on two different paths home. So that way, if Esau and his army come across them and Esau's still angry, he'll only kill half his family, half of his servants, half of his livestock. Always planning. And so Jacob has just done that. Um, and we're gonna pick up the story right after he separated his family and he sent them on their way and he's all alone. So this is Genesis 32, and I'm gonna start reading um, in the 24th verse. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is God's word. So for you and I, for us to know our truest name, to get a sense of what it is we've been called to, it's going to be a struggle with God. Why? 
Well, what did the serpent tell Adam and Eve would happen once they ate the fruit? That they'd be like God, that they would know good from evil. See, the result of the fall, when evil and sin and injustice entered the story of human history, the result is we see ourselves as a God. At the core of our fallen nature, we believe we know best, that we don't need God, that we can decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. Because of the fall, we constantly fight against dependence. We strive for self-sufficiency. I love uh, Brene Brown, and I'll read anything uh, she writes or watch any talk she does, uh, but there's one area that I think she misses it pretty significantly. She often ends her books or her talks with this idea that if we just believe we are enough, that would change things. But we're not enough. We were never meant to be enough in and of ourselves. Even before the fall, we were designed to need others and to need God. Saying I'm not enough is not a bad thing. And in our striving to be enough in and of ourselves, we struggle with God. Every one of us is fighting with God. That's why the first step in recovery is always admitting our powerlessness. The first step of AA says we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, it might not be alcohol for you, but maybe appearance or wealth or relationships or how your kids are turning out or, or how well-liked you are at work. We have all given something the place of God in our hearts. And even those of us who have given our hearts to God, let's be honest, the battle still rages on. My wife Kelly says, maybe the truest thing about us, this side of heaven, is our struggle. So if we want to know our truest name, if we want to truly be able to live into our calling, we have to fight God. And what do we discover in the fight? Well, we discover what Jacob discovered. We discovered who God really is. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of this story. It begins that Jacob was alone and he wrestled with the man until daybreak. It isn't until way later that the author lets us know that the man that Jacob was wrestling was in fact God. God condescended to such a point as being seen as just a man. What humility and empathy and love, the creator of the universe makes himself so low that at one point we're told God realizes he cannot overcome Jacob, a hairless mama's boy. He made himself that low, that vulnerable. And it wasn't until Jacob uh, looked at God and saw the, the power that he had. That's when he realized he was fighting someone more than a man. He had been wrestling all night and then all of a sudden, God just touches his hip and it's wrenched out of place. See, Jacob has not been fighting a mere man, but God himself. And then he ends up naming the place Peniel, which, which he says means I saw God face to face and lived. And what I find so fascinating about this is that when Jacob realizes who he's fighting with, he doesn't run away scared. He actually grabs hold even tighter to God. I don't know if you've ever had something that you've been wrestling with where you're really confused or you really don't understand why God is the way he is and you're worried if you bring that to God that you'll be shunned, that, you, that he'll pour out his wrath on you, that he, that he doesn't wanna hear about your struggles and your pain and your disappointments with him. But here we see God validates the fight by even engaging in it. So whatever you're struggling with, wherever you're having problems with God, God's saying, bring it on, bring it to me. 
Jacob, when he realizes he's fighting the God of the universe, he doesn't run away. He holds on even tighter. And God even tells him, let go. It's about to be daybreak. And to see me in the full light of day would mean your death. But Jacob wouldn't even let go of God, even under the threat of death. Why? Because God first showed his love through his condescension, through his humility and his vulnerability. Jacob wasn't scared of God because God first came to him in humility. He first came to him in an appearance of just being a man. That's one of the most profound messages of Christmas. How can we not trust a God who loved us enough to become one of us and not just one of us, but a baby? Our creator became vulnerable to us. So by engaging in the fight, you and I discover who God really is. Jacob also discovers who he really is. God asks Jacob his name and Jacob says, Jacob, which, which just means deceiver. Jacob has spent his whole life pretending to be someone else, deceiving everyone. But here, when he's face to face with a God who loved him enough to become vulnerable to him, he doesn't deceive. He knows what he's done. And he's not afraid to say it. He just says, I'm Jacob. I'm deceiver. When we know we are loved unconditionally, we tell the truth about ourselves. You know how much I believe the gospel by how much truth of myself I tell you. If I'm believing the gospel, I will share with you things that I wouldn't normally share apart from the gospel. All of my children are named after literary characters that have in some way profoundly affected me. So we've got Oliver and Atticus, Alice, Huck, Diggory, uh, and Prynne. And Prynne is named after Hester Prynne uh, from the Scarlet Letter. Uh, so we named our daughter after literature's most famous adulterer. Um, and I know that one day that's gonna set in with her and we're gonna, it's gonna be a bad day. Uh, but the reason we named her that is because there's a line in the Scarlet Letter that has stuck with me ever since I read it in high school. The line is this, the Scarlet Letter was her passport into regions where other women dared not tread. You see, Hester Prince's brokenness, her sin being exposed, her not being able to hide, freed her to move in a way that others could not. She didn't have to play the game anymore. She didn't have to pretend. And because of that, she could move boldly into places other people wouldn't go. She was, she was free to boldly live into her calling. And that's what I hope for my kids, that the expectation of perfection would be so shattered that they'd be free to tell the truth about themselves. My mentor, Steve Brown, often says, our sin, when we know it, is a gift. And our obedience, when we know it, is dangerous. It's dangerous because we can become self-righteous and legalistic, but our sin, when we know it, could be the very thing that leads us to our truest name and calling. Because when you and I, when we see ourselves clearly, like Jacob saw himself clearly as he was standing face to face with a God of love, when you and I, when we stop pretending, it is then that we can hear from God our truest name. God looks at Jacob and he says, you will no longer be Jacob, deceiver but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. God tells Jacob who he really is. God looks at this hairless mama's boy and he tells him, you have overcome. You are strong. God tells Jacob what he had in mind when he thought Jacob up. 
I was having a coffee with a, with a teenager not too long ago who was, um, who was struggling with, uh, with his sexuality, and, and he's, he's telling me some of his story, and he's talking a lot about uh, the things he's gone through at school and with bullying, um, but yet he's, he's continued to try to, to be honest and truthful about, about, about what, he, what, he, what he feels and how he's struggling and what he thinks. And, um, and I, I remember I, just, I was just blown away by how he's navigated uh, his life, especially with all the bullying. And I just looked at him and I said, you are such a strong man. Um, and he just began to cry. And, uh, um, and I said, why are you crying? And he said, no one's ever said that to me. But that was what was most true about him. Sitting across from him, hearing him tell his story, hearing him open up about the things that he's struggling with, he is a strong man. That is what is most true about him. I've told you all this before. When Kelly and I went through some really uh, dark times when I was being a horrible husband and a horrible dad, the one thing Kelly kept saying to me after she would tell me what a jerk I was being and how it wasn't okay, but she would say, I know this isn't who you really are. When you and I, when we engage God honestly with our doubts and our struggles and our disappointments, even our disappointments with him, he begins to tell us our truest name and he blesses us. God, after telling Jacob his name, he blesses Jacob. But what had Jacob been looking for his whole life? I think it's, uh, it's interesting, this relationship between Esau and Jacob and how, how Jacob so badly wanted the affirmation of his dad and his brother. In fact, right before where we picked up the story, as, as Jacob is coming up with this plan of splitting up his family, there's a line that he says that just, I mean, it hits so hard, it breaks my heart. He says, perhaps, and it, because he comes up with this plan that along with the stuff, uh, his people and his children and his livestock, he's also gonna send gifts so that maybe those gifts would, would swade his, 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 persuade his brother Esau to be, uh, to be okay and not kill them. Um, and he says this, he says, perhaps now he will accept me. See, Jacob wanted to hear words of blessing so much that he was willing to dress up in a costume and hear words intended for another. But the problem with wearing a mask is when you wear a mask, the mask gets loved, not you. And what were those words of blessing? We don't know. It, the text just says, and God blessed him here. But blessing are always words. It's a benediction. It's something that is spoken. And I think the reason we don't know what God said is because the words were so personal and intimate. They were words intended only for Jacob. And they were the words he had been longing his whole life to hear. What words have you been longing your whole life to hear? Have you been looking for them in relationships or in your kids or in your job or in your success? Engage in the struggle with God. That is the only way you will actually hear the words that you've been longing your whole life to hear. And notice that when Jacob is at his weakness, this is when he receives the blessing. While he got the blessing, he also got lameness. He ended up walking the rest of his life with a limp. Now for a self-sufficient person, for a person who thinks that they are God, which is all of us, an encounter with the real God will always leave us wounded. 
We are supposed to remember that wound and tell others about it. The Israelites stopped eating a certain part of the tendon so that they would remember Jacob's wound. This was a story that was passed on and on and on. Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul rejoiced in the thorn in his side as a reminder of his need for his savior. He boasted about his weakness. Why? So that others would see Jesus. Your story told truthfully is good news for others. The blessing will always leave a wound and that wound is always meant to be told to others. Let me tell you what was really going on with me in that mask in college. Uh, Shortly after high school, my whole world was disrupted. My view of myself and of God was shattered. My worth was lost. I had always relied on my goodness and the approval of others to tell me that I was okay. But, But I found myself at a point where that was no longer available to me. And even though I kept playing the part of Christian of the year, I I knew that it wasn't true. I couldn't believe that it was true anymore. I knew the truth about myself, but I didn't know how to be. Well, when I put that mask on down in the basement of that theater building, it wasn't the mask being unleashed. It wasn't the story of the mask I was telling. It was me. In reality, I was a scared, confused, lonely, extremely hurt, young man who was tracked by an image that I couldn't live up to. I wasn't enough. But then under the covering of that mask, I felt free to let it out. My anger and my fear and my sadness. You and I, we wear masks because it's not safe for us to tell the truth about ourselves without some kind of covering. But listen, if Jesus is your savior, if you have believed in him, you are not covered by a cheap plastic mask. You are covered by the perfect righteousness of Christ. Listen to this. There's a place in the prophet Hosea where where the prophet speaks about this night of Jacob and God wrestling. It's found in Hosea 12, four. It says this, he struggled with God and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. As I've reflected on this story and as I've imagined this wrestling match, seeing Jacob all sweaty with his his tears mixed with sweat, I couldn't help but think of another man who wrestled all night with God, but his tears mixed with blood. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he met God alone in a garden and he begged and he pleaded for God to find another way to get his people back. He wept and the excruciating reality of what was being asked of him caused him to sweat drops of blood. But ultimately, Jesus decided to hold on. Jacob held on even under the threat of death, but Jesus held on to the cross to the point of death. And unlike Jacob who held on to secure the blessing for himself, Jesus held on to secure the blessing for us so that we could have his righteousness, so that he could make us enough. You are loved. As you struggle, remember you are loved. And on the other side of this struggle is a name so specific to you that reflects your truest name, that you are loved by Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, for the reality of of that love, that we in fact are loved by Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we 
move into this new year and as we think about the things that you're calling us to, that our identity being in you, that the fact that you went to a cross so that we could be made right, so that we could be who you always intended us to be. May, may that love you have for us so penetrate our hearts that it frees us to risk, that it frees us to tell the truth about ourselves, that it frees us to no longer have to pretend. May you so empower us that we can move into the regions, into the dark places that no one else would go because we go knowing that we are loved unconditionally by you. And we pray this all in the one in whom we find our salvation, in Jesus Christ, amen.